everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com. I'm your host and the editor-in-chief of the Cinematropolis, Caleb Masters, and I'm coming at you with another special Dead Center 2018 Film Festival interview. And today we are joined by a very special guest and Oklahoma icon, Kim Boyner. Kim, as I said, is an icon. She's also the CEO and co-founder of Wonder Trek Labs and is responsible for the VR version of the Homecoming film that is playing as part of the Okie Shorts here at Dead Center. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you. So I, I want to jump right in. Homecoming, how did you get, end up getting on board with that? Uh, well, we should also mention that we're, uh, we were involved in Homecoming, but we also curated and produced the VR program that's running as part of the festival here in the 21C, uh, of which the 360 version of Homecoming Seduction um, is a part of that program. Mm -hmm. So, so you guys are responsible for the entire program. Indeed, that's well, what we do. <laughs> well, thank you for <laughs> thank you for setting us up. I, I went down there yesterday and spent a good hour just watching some of the different movies down there, and it was a really unique experience. I a totally different way to think about stories. <laughs> Did you have a chance to check out Seduction in 360? Yes. Okay, yeah. cool. So we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. Um, our company, we're a content and consulting company, so we started out the company to work on the content side um, back in, in late 2014, early 2015. Um, and the content side of the space has not really been paying. It's hard to get funding for content. And so the, the event consulting side and working with festivals kind of evolved out of my background as a film critic on the festival circuit for a decade and my deep connections with the film festivals. Um, and as there became a need for festivals like Dead Center to integrate VR, uh, people like Lance didn't know how to do that. They felt that they started feeling like we should get on board with this VR thing. We should have a VR program, but I don't know how to do it. So I got to have someone that does. That's kind of how, how we got involved with Dead Center. Last year, we programmed a smaller program. Uh, it went extremely well and was very well received. And that was actually Lance McDaniel's first introduction to VR360. And since then, as you can tell, he's gotten quite bit by the tech bug. Yeah. And then Homecoming kind of evolved out of that. We worked with Lance last year to bring the VR program here. And at the end of that, he was like, I have to talk to you guys <laughs> about this project I'm doing called Homecoming. And I got a grant and I want to raise some money and do a 360 version of it and that's how we got involved so we were out here for dead center and then we came back out a month later and started working on homecoming excellent so it sounds like you guys you guys gave him that you guys stung him like you said with the bug and he's like oh my gosh now that i've seen what we can do exactly. all the stories should be in vr and he started thinking of that he was already planning on doing homecoming the triptych the flatty triptych mm -hmm. at that point he and melissa had already written that script and he had already gotten a grant fund for it uh, so it was a pretty natural evolution, I think, for him once we put him in 360 to start imagining how that film could be translated mm -hmm. into that space, and he got very excited. Awesome, awesome, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the, the results turned out uh, something really special, I mean, just based on the locations you guys uh, shot with uh, were really cool. You had one one shot on a farm, and you had one out on the, like, the salt plains. The salt plains, yeah. That was really cool. Yeah, so, you know, uh, you saw the flatty version of, of the film, The Triptych. I haven't seen it yet. Um, that's, that's, so that's today, today. Pretty, I think, mm -hmm. right? So the, the story is three parts. Um, it's the story of this young woman coming out of prison after a meth charge, and the first part is her mother and her young son coming to pick her up from the prison. The second part, Homecoming, is the um, like her small community welcoming her back into their community, welcoming her and not welcoming her in the way that small towns sometimes do. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the third part, seduction, the part that we ended up recreating in 360 is her her um, bad boyfriend coming back and luring her away. And of course, the entire thing is, is both literal and metaphorical, as a good story should be. Um, we felt like that, that last piece, the seduction piece, lended itself most to being recreated in 360. 
Um, and the entire piece is all experimental dance. It's it's very little dialogue. It's all dance and music based, which is also a really cool thing to get to experiment mm-hmm. with in 360. Well, it puts more emphasis on the visuals. I, I thought that was the really cool thing I liked about yours, especially the way you had the cross cutting and the fading. It added something special with the VR that I, I don't feel like the the flat screen uh, quite articulate. You're, you're not the first person to observe that. Like people who, have, especially if you see um, the the flatty version and then see the 360, you know, either in either order. And this is certainly not to take away from the flatty version, which stands on its own as, an, as a really interesting project. But I also think that having done the 360 piece of seduction really gives people a feel for this is how you can take a piece of art and render it in a flatty version. And then this is how you can properly recreate it in 360. Because one of the issues that I see as a curator in this space is that there's a lot of content that is not well imagined for 360. It's very clearly something that was initially incepted as a flatty piece. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, oh, I should do a 360 and how do we, you know, I'm just gonna wrap it around. The approach that, that Lance and I took with this um, and working with Heechaw, his um, brilliant choreographer, was how do we take the existing choreography that they've already been working on for this, which included mm-hmm. a lot of transition dance transitions that transition from scene to scene. How do we integrate that into 360 and how do we re-choreograph it to make use of that 360 space to guide the, the viewer's eye around the 360 space in a meaningful mm-hmm. way because it's also about teaching people how to use the space. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I actually think uh, that that kind of leads me to my next question, which is talking about the differences in between shooting 2D traditional uh, photography or video mm-hmm. uh, versus VR. I like how you've already described it as, yeah, uh, you, you can do it. You, you can convert it, so to speak, but it's not going to have the same impact as if you have uh, right. a film that's completely envisioned. So can you talk a little bit about the differences in process? Yeah, well, I mean, like one of the big differences, especially for directors, um, directors are very used to imagining out their story and, and flatty space, meaning they have a great deal of control over what's being framed and what's being shown. And so when we talk about like storyboarding for a flatty piece, the part that you're framing is what's on, on camera, what's on screen. But there's always 360 space that you're not seeing. It's just as if someone had closed a curtain on the rest of that space and was revealing just this little bit here and this little bit there to you. Um, and that's what audiences have become accustomed to. And it's certainly what Hollywood directors have become accustomed to, their vision as the auteur. It is my vision, and I will show you what you will see. 360 is much harder to do that because you have a camera that is picking up everything all around it, a camera or a rig that is, um, in the case of the stuff we shot, 16 cameras tethered together. You can't hide things. And so then it becomes about rethinking how do you, you know, storytellers have to do the work. They have to rethink, how do I tell the story in this space? How do I, if I want to be an auteur, how do I become an auteur in a context where I can't hide um, things from the audience that I don't want them to see? And that, and that requires work on people's part. And sometimes when you're used to working in a medium in a certain way, telling them, no, you have to do your brushstroke this way now instead of that way, takes them a little, it's a hurdle for people to get over. With Homecoming, one of the thing, or with Seduction, one of the things that was interesting about that piece, the, the Salt Plains piece that you talk about, was the one part that we shot that we didn't hide the crew. Um, if you've been out to Salt Plains outside of Alva, you know like it's a very vast, white, empty space, mm-hmm. which was what we wanted for that scene, that, that end scene of the piece. Um, but you have to go very, very far to get completely off camera. Right. There's nowhere to hide. Like in the cornfield, the, the scene right before that, um, we're all just hiding in the corn. We right. just ran a little bit of ways out, and we were down on the ground with the corn mites, you know, in the hot 104 degrees sun right, in yeah. Oklahoma. <laughs> on the salt plains, we didn't have there was nowhere to hide, and so what we did in that case is you create a wedge. So we knew where we wanted to have the camera. We placed the camera first. Um, we made everybody clear out, and we shot a plate a blank plate with nobody in it at all. So we shot like about a 10 minute blank plate, and then we came back without moving the camera. 
Um, and then we drew a wedge, about a 60-degree wedge, and the crew had to stay tucked in that wedge. Um, and so, like, when, um, when we talk about, like, issues, like, with lighting uh, and 360, how do you hide lighting? How do you hide a boom mic? How do you, how do you hide traditional filmmaking tools? That's one way that you can do that is you can create a wedge and keep all your crew tucked in that wedge, but you have to shoot a blank plate first because then in the post-process, what you're going to do is you're basically going to cut out that piece of pie and drop your in. blank plate in. Mm. Uh, and after effects... And you're just going to like say, and so it's really important that they stay confined to that wedge the entire time where it's going to make your process much more laborious, but it's actually not that difficult or challenging to take that one slice of pie out and replace it with a slice of pie right. that doesn't have them in. I mean, it's just like it's post-production, like any other post-production process and editing. You're like, okay, I'm going to remove this piece and hide the thing you don't want to see. Except you, mask, for, of you use course. masks and you hide stuff out, right? And mm-hmm. you can do that in 360. It's, you know, it's laborious to do that all the time. And you definitely have your crew has to understand like when I say stay in this wedge, I mean stay in this wedge. Like I don't want to see a toenail outside of that. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. We have to do the whole thing all over again. All right. How do you, how do you, how do you shout action whenever you're high, like two miles away? Well, you know, that's interesting. That's an interesting question too. So you know, going back to seduction, the cornfield scene, for instance, with all the all the pieces of seduction that we shot, we were all hidden. We were off camera, and we had to have a lot of faith and trust in our dancers and in our choreographer to understand the space. And so uh, Heecha re-choreographed for the 360 and, and walked the dancers through, because they already knew the choreography. They'd already filmed the flatty part that morning before we started shooting. Mm-hmm. And then they she would walk them through, this is how we're going to do it in the 360. She had a really, like in my experience, working with other people who aren't VR filmmakers specifically, like she had a really intuitive understanding of choreographing around the camera. Mm-hmm. She was super easy to work with. And we just, you know, she walked the dancers through their choreography and we started the camera, but they did their own action and they did their own cut when they were done. Um, And they would do as many takes as they felt as professionals that they needed to do to nail it. They knew what they were going for. Uh, we were shooting completely blind because I didn't have the ability to see any of the takes that they did on the fly. Okay, yeah, that was my next question. Is like, are you, are you monitoring this in any way at all? No, Oof. no, we did not have a director's monitor. Um, with You know, you can, there's ways to do that. Uh, that are a little easier now, but at the time and in the way that we were shooting, we just didn't have that ability to do that. And so we were literally shooting blind and having to put a lot of trust that the dancers were going to nail it. Yeah. Um, because I didn't, I couldn't see anything that we shot until I uploaded the rough stitches, which I couldn't do until we were like back where we had internet, which right. we certainly didn't in the middle of the cornfield. Right. So you know, then we'd go back to our hotel and, or not hotel, but our, our place that we were staying in Alva and we would upload the footage, you know, get all the footage off of there. And then with Google, they have a, a program called Jump Manager that does allow you to get a rough stitch so I could tell it just show me a stitch of four cameras so I can kind of watch that through and make sure we didn't screw anything up too badly. Mm-hmm. But really, and yeah, realistically, there wasn't time or budget to say, oh, we screwed up, we're going to go back tomorrow and reshoot because we only had Ronnie, the um, the male dancer, for one day. He's the ballet master of Ballet Oklahoma and getting him even for one day was was kind of a miracle. So yeah, there's there's no room for error. <laughs> no room for error, and but fortunately, we were working with wonderful professionals. You know, when you right. have the ballet master of ballet Oklahoma as your male lead and a and a highly talented, highly experienced female lead like we had in uh, Riley Daniel, we just trusted them to be professionals and to do their job and to execute their art, which is to you know, frankly, is what I would always do when I'm working with an artist. Uh, you know, if you're if you're hiring talent that knows what they're doing, you shouldn't be over directing them anyhow. Mm-hmm. You know, like, are you going to, if you had Meryl Streep as your lead actress, are you going to over-direct Meryl Streep? Or are you going to get out of Meryl Streep's way and let Meryl Streep do Meryl Streep? Exactly. Right? And exactly. so if you're working with that level of, of performers and you can get away with that. And it was pretty clear early on that Ronnie and Riley were going to be that kind of performer mm-hmm. that we could work with them. Riley, especially, really intuitively got moving and moving for the camera and performing on camera. Um, and I think that that, 
that final scene in Salt Plains is really evocative of that. That was actually the first piece that we shot. Wow. That day was the was the final scene, and that she could nail it that hard. Yeah. And then go back and do the others was really definitely instills confidence for the rest of the shoot because that's a phenomenal scene. That was probably my favorite part of the whole whole VR demo. I think w- one thing that was interesting to me too. This is the first time I have you know done gaming in VR for a while, but I, mm-hmm. I'd never done film. And the thing it's interesting is like it requires more work, which is more immersive. Um, but also like you kind of get to take in the scene a little more you feel like it's more immersive you know what I mean so like there was one shot where I was like looking and then especially with the way that film fade crossfades and things I'm like oh where, where'd they go okay cool and it made me it forced me to observe the beautiful setup that was there and I was able to experience that in a whole new way do you look at VR films as an, a, a companion to more traditional films or do you believe it kind of be its own thing um yeah, that's an interesting question. We were, we were just talking about this on the podcast that I was recording before this a little bit. We didn't dive as deeply as we could have, though. Um, one of the things that I like to say about, about the space as it is right now is that we are, um, in, in an analog to cinema, we're still very much in the arrival of a train phase. Uh, when the Lemaire brothers did arrival of a train in the late 1800s, it freaked people out. You know, People literally jumped out of their seats thinking that, that a train was going to come through the wall and run them over. And it's important to remember that in the VR space, we're really only three to four years into people even having an opportunity as artists to work with this new medium, mm-hmm. uh, much less consumers you know, only having a couple of years really to adjust to being in a new medium. And they have, they've had 120 years to adjust from the beginning of cinema to where we are now with Star Wars and Jurassic Park and, you know, and big tentpole films, all the Marvel films and stuff like that. That couldn't have been done in the late 1800s at all. It would right. not have been done. Um, and so when people say a lot of the content in VR right now is very demo-y, you know, my answer is, well, yes, it is, because that's where we are in the evolution of the technology. And we haven't, you know, it takes 10,000 hours at least of working with a new medium for any artist to develop true expertise mm-hmm. and intuitive expertise and intuitive understanding of how to work with it. And so to expect that you're going to take, you know, even a big Hollywood, like you can't, you just can't, you can't throw money at something at a person and and make that experience just magically appear inside them. You can't take a big Hollywood director and just because they've made a hundred million dollar tentpole film say now we're going to have this person do a a VR project and expect that they're intuitively going to be able to work in that space. It just doesn't work like that. The Mm -hmm. fact that you've made a hundred million dollar flatty film isn't going to make you a good VR director. Um, And frankly, the the better work that we're seeing as curators out of this space is coming out of independent artists. Uh, much more so than out of Hollywood. You know, like Hollywood certainly has the money to throw budget at, at special effects and better cameras and stuff. But for the most part, what I consider the more imaginative storytelling is definitely coming out of the independent artists uh, who are thinking about 360 from the ground up as opposed to here's a contract to do a VR thing. Right, someone who's actually been working on traditional, by, by through traditional means on film for decades and all of a sudden they're having to go back and rethink the fundamentals. You're saying younger people or people who are just getting into the filmmaking thinking from the ground up about the whole thing. I, I, what I'm saying, I guess, more is that it's, it's not that, that a director that has years of experience can't adapt and can't learn. They certainly can, but it's still going to take them a certain amount of hours of working in this technology to adapt in the same way that, you know, I could be a masterful oil painter, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be a good watercolor painter or a good sculptor or a good mixed media artist, mm-hmm. right? Um, I could be if I have enough time to play around with that media and explore it, or I could be terrible at it. And it just, you know, you can't say just because someone's successful at one thing and have done it for a long time that they'll be great. What I would say is that an emerging tech bubble is an excellent time for younger people um, or for, for marginalized people, for women, women artists, for artists of color, 
to make a significant move in that space and to get much further, much faster than they could working in traditional media. Um, because in an emerging tech bubble like this, the time from zero to expert does get compressed. Like right now, if you've been working in this space four years, as long as we have, you're an expert in this space. Uh, and, and there's still time in this space for women and young people and people of color to get in and become emerging artists in this space and garner attention for their work, especially if they're thinking about 360 and VR from the ground up and doing really innovative things. There's a lot of room to maneuver and a lot of room to get attention for your work that you would be competing against a much bigger ocean if you were trying to do it in the flatty world. Uh, so like my advice to young people and women and people of color and you know nothing I don't have anything against white men but I don't really need more white men to get projects funded <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we've had a few of those I've seen, forever I've seen yeah. plenty of white male stories uh, in, you know, in Hollywood and in independent filmmaking frankly and so like part of the work that I do outside of my work as CEO of Wonder Tech Labs I do a lot of work around access and diversity awesome. um, around um, building bridges and, and removing barriers to access for um, for, for girls, young girls wanting to move into this space, for people of color wanting to work in this space, putting cameras in people's hands and giving them access. Uh, I have a program called Tapestry 360 that I wrote a grant for last year oh, wow. that got funded and I wrote the curriculum for this program and we ran it as a spring break camp in Seattle for seven youth. And uh, We started out with 10 but two of them had to drop due to family issues. We had seven diverse youth, uh, one, one boy who was my son and then uh, six girls who were all um, all with the exception of two two um, white girls, but the others were all girls of color. We've worked with uh, an excellent nonprofit called Real Girls, which brought in three mentors, two from LA, one from New York, who came in and, and worked directly with the youth. But the whole point of Tapestry 360 was to put the gear in these youth's hands, but not to drive their creative process. We were there to facilitate, we were there to mentor, we were there to show them how to use the gear and then to get out of their creative way. Mm-hmm. And consequently, we have seven really strong pieces of youth content that are showing right now in Seattle at the Seattle International Film Festival alongside two really excellent pieces of youth content produced by Al Jazeera out of a a Syrian refugee camp in Jordan. Wow. Um, So part of the work that I'm doing outside of Wonder Tech Labs is is now I'm going to be expanding Tapestry 360 uh, and expanding that into a global program, working with some people in Africa, working with Al Jazeera and their programs that they do with youth in refugee camps. Uh, bringing it to Oklahoma City, uh, hopefully in partnership with both Dead Center and Oklahoma Contemporary, bringing it to New York, bringing it to Dallas, and bringing it to other places. And and the point is to create this network of youth and young people and giving them access to this technology and letting them tell their own stories and just giving them support to do that. Right. That's like that's what's going to help help make storytelling move faster is putting the gear into more people's hands, right. putting the media into more people's hands and giving them opportunities to use it. Right. Well, specifically in the hands of uh, folks who haven't had their, don't have the opportunities to have their stories told uh, overwhelmingly. Exactly. And you, know, and you can just, you know, if you give someone a, an ability to tell their story and get out of their way, then you're going to get a lot of remarkable stories told, right? And mm-hmm. like the tapestry program, we, we shot that with a gear 360, with gear 360 cameras, which were donated by Samsung. And, uh, but those cameras are only like $250 to buy. And you can shoot 4K 360 video. You can live stream 360 video with these cameras. If you have a Samsung phone, you can control it remotely with your phone and see what you're shooting um, from, you know, from backstage at a concert or from, you know, from off cam. You can watch what you're shooting while you're doing it. Um, and you can shoot up to 4K. So like you can get festival quality footage shooting with this $250 360 camera and wow. just start making your content. Uh, right. You know, and it has mic built in, but you could use a spatial audio mic also, and just drop a separate audio track in. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, on, and those pieces were all shot with this little, this little two hundred fifty dollar camera, and they came out remarkably well. Wow, 
that's fantastic. I mean, that's a great opportunity too about the, the, the fact that technology is getting affordable enough that people who might not have as much funding historically right. do have those opportunities. And I think, yeah, having programs like you're talking about to give these kids these tools is really exciting. Um, totally. What would you say it most attracts you to this like style? Why did, I, why did I move into this space specifically? Yes. Well, at the time that we started Wonder Tech, uh, like I said, I had been a critic for a long time, and I, I became a film critic to learn about making film. Um, in part, I mean, I've always been a writer, and I had, at the time I started doing film criticism, I'd already written a dozen screenplays. Um, but I, I wanted to learn more and understand more about the making of film, about the cinematography, about how editing works, about how lighting works, around, about how sound works, all those things, color correction all the post things that people forget about until they're out of budget and then they're like, oh no, we ran out of budget for post. Now what are we going to do? We better have another Kickstarter. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was always really fascinated in all those things and in understanding how to tell a story through that medium. And then um, I had worked for a production company in Seattle for three years after I made my short film Bunker, which showed here at Dead Center in 2012. Uh, I worked for Peter Atkinson, the founder of Wizards of the Coast, the gaming company oh, that wow. made Dungeons and Dragons yeah. and Magic the Gathering. I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah. So Peter wanted to start a production company in Seattle to start developing an IP called Chaldea that he had been developing through Dungeons and Dragons gameplay for 30 years wow. with this core group of Wizards of the Coast founders. And so for, for three years, I worked with Peter and helped build up his production company. And we shot a bunch of test projects. I produced a bunch of stuff for him. And then um, at a certain point after my mom passed away in 2014, uh, that yeah, we decided to part ways around Peter's company because he was transitioning into starting full gear on Chaldea, and I didn't want to get my life sucked up into that. And then at that point, I was—I honestly was looking to, for, to just find a film production job, a job with a prodco or something. I was considering, did I want to move to LA? I was really in a period of flux, like my mom had died um, in July of 2014, and it really ripped the rug out from under me, and I didn't really know for sure what I wanted to do next. And I started out just like, you know, I was on unemployment for a little while and just like sending out a bunch of resumes mm -hmm. to different companies and, and nobody was really nibbling, but I wasn't really going after it. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Uh, and then I started getting interested in, in virtual reality and we started talking a little bit about it. And then in 20, um, South by Southwest of 2015, when I went to South by, I was doing my radio show, The Daily Buzz there, and we had the residents on. Mm -hmm the residents who are an art collective out of San Francisco, they were celebrating their 40th anniversary show at South by in 2015 and they had a documentary wow. and that art collective, that band has always been at the forefront of technology. Like they're one of the first bands to use a music sampler and mm -hmm. one of the first bands on MTV because they were one of the first bands doing music videos uh, and they're highly creative, highly innovative. And I, I spent about four days with uh, their, their anonymous, but with their lead guy, and we just started talking a lot about technology and music and art, and I, I just got bit by a bug to make that transition. And partly what compelled me to, to go ahead and found a company and do it myself was, first of all, as a woman, I was tired of being uh, of waiting for permission from white men to do what I wanted to do. Yeah. Like in Hollywood, white men control the power, and, and even like in my case, I have connections. I have deep connections in the film industry in both the Hollywood side and the film industry side. Uh, you know, I have mentors who are working in positions of power where they could have put me into a position or hired me for something and didn't, where they hired men over me even though they knew me and even though they knew I was smart and talented and capable, I still would get overlooked and, and have men hired above me and I just got tired of that. And yeah. finally I was like, you know, if I start my own company, I don't have to wait for anyone to give me permission. Right. Um, and my partner was really open to the idea. At first he was, uh, you know, I, just, I was like, okay, I've decided I want to start a VR company and we're going to make you into a VR thought leader. He, was, he had an immersive theater background. I was like, that's going to transition great into, into the VR space. Immersive theater is totally relevant. 
and we're going to start a company and we're going to carve our space. And he was like, okay, if you oh, say wow. so. Awesome. That's so exciting though. But it, you know, it, it gets to, you know, part of the motivation for that was having, having worked at the beginning of the internet in the nineties, uh, I worked for right. tech startups during the emergence of the internet. And so I was very familiar with what an emerging tech bubble looks like. Um, and so I already knew going into it that it's a great space to be making a move as a woman because there's not as many people telling you no. There's not as many gatekeepers telling you you can't. Right. You you can become the gatekeeper and the key master yourself if you make a move at the right time and you're highly motivated and you establish what you're doing. Yeah, you set the whole – I mean you get to make your own rules at that point, right? Yeah. Especially if you're the first one there. There's no one there to tell you what to do. Exactly. And that's exactly what we've done like with our with our event production that we do. Um, you know, there's, there's certainly other companies that help – that can help festivals and stuff manage events. But I don't think there are any companies that I know of that bring the combination of curation, like specifically curation of contemporary digital art, like I bring to the table with 10 years of background as an international film critic mm-hmm. uh, and as someone who is an artist myself and who deeply studies art and thinks about art. We're not curating to build VR arcades. We're curating to showcase contemporary digital art in a gallery context and to show how that relates to cinema. And there's just not a lot of people that have the ability to both curate at the level we curate, bring in the tech side, that have the connections with the tech sponsors to bring Mm -hmm. them to the table also, Mm -hmm. and that also have the ability to art direct a space and build a gallery and accept how how you're gonna build the lighting and how you're gonna build out the whole space, and we bring all that. Um, So that's kind of become our our bread and butter, and it's been important for, you know, not just for paying our bills and keeping our company going without getting VC funding, but also for helping evangelize the space and helping grow the space, which is important to us as content creators. Right. If we don't help grow the space, we don't get to the place where artists like ourselves get paid for the art side. Right. And that's very important to me too, making sure people get paid, making sure we're representing women artists and artists of color in our curation. Uh, all that is a part of what we get to do because of this company. That's that's really exciting. Um, wow, this has been a, an awesome talk and I could, I could do it all day, but to be uh, you know, respectful of your time and uh, what, is next for you guys it sounds like you've got uh infinite possibilities ahead of you like what do you have any projects or a direction you're looking at for the next thing we always have direction um we actually the, the content side is finally just starting to move the needle a little bit uh, like we have this posies video that's here in the program here for unlikely places we shot that with the posies back in 2016 and we've been hanging hanging on to it just waiting for the space to develop enough to justify releasing it um, and we're releasing it this year in conjunction with their 30th anniversary um, we have um, we have a couple of clients that that we're working with on the content side Our, my favorite client is a client super geek league out of seattle <laughs> nice um, and we're working on a really cool massive project with them um, that we're hoping to get funded we've been working really hard on that for a little over a year now with them and we have other big projects in the works with you know with events that um, that have reached out wanting stuff, and I'm hoping to do some work with Meow Wolf. Uh, oh man, soon. that's so super cool! Wow, yeah. uh, those I bet that, that's a, that's a match made in heaven, I think. Right it's there, it's a it's a real it's a very good convergence of interest and, and artistic sensibility. I think I've been as an artist super interested in Meow Wolf since I heard about them. Um, I'm a, a mixed media and alcohol ink artist. I do uh, analog art in addition to the VR stuff. And um, I'm really interested in, in their whole modality of immersive art that's not just in headset because headset can be isolating and, and kind of strange sometimes. And I like their approach to things. How do you take that out of headset? How do you make art immersive and uh, put it in a context where people can experience it collectively and share it and have bits and pieces of it where you go in headset but not have that be all of it? Um, 
that location-based entertainment context for VR and how you bring people to a gathering space to experience art together is really interesting to me. Awesome. Well, very exciting. Uh, I'm looking forward to all the things you guys are working on next. And uh, for our listeners out there, where is there anywhere online they can find you guys if they want to keep up with you? Sure. Yeah, they can find us at wondertechlabs.com. It's tech, T-E-K. Uh, and all one word, wondertechlabs.com. Awesome. Well, Kim, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the Cinematic Schematic for this uh, special Dead Center interview today. Thank you so much. listening, make sure to stay tuned to thecinematropolis.com for even more Dead Center coverage, including filmmaker interviews, film reviews, and more. You can check out the website or follow us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash thecinematropolis or on Twitter and Instagram at thecinematrop. Thank you so much for tuning in to this special Dead Center edition of the podcast, and we'll catch you back on the Cinematic Schematic again with more interviews next time. Next time.